0: Welcome to the Prison Steve Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole, or had to make a shiv, after six years in the Texas penal system, I can tell you, I've still seen some stuff. I lived through many a lockdowns, endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, and learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues. And as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom. I made some incredible friendships along the way, Learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered. And I learned that Prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel and there are dementors in prison, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered and shaped my views now that I'm on the outside. Thank you for joining me for episode two of the Prison Steve podcast. I am your host, your tour guide, your Willy Wonka through this craziest eccentric world that is incarcerated prison life and life in 2020. My name is Stephen Mathis, also known as Prison Steve. Before I launch into what we're going to be talking about today, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that commented, that listened in, that participated, that downloaded that shared this first podcast that I put out. I know I didn't have a platform that I was able to put it on, like uh, Apple Podcast or Stitcher or any of those. But I'm on Apple Podcast now. I'm on Stitcher. I'm waiting for Spotify and Google to approve it. And then you can listen in those formats at your convenience, of course. So again, thank you so much for everything, even the criticisms, the feedback that I got. All of it helps me improve. This is a evolving entity that is podcast world. I'm learning as I go and trying to figure this stuff out, try to, to get the right format down. So the first subject that I wanted to tackle is the one that is the closest to my heart. It's the one that is a core part of my identity. And it is the one thing that I can say played an absolutely essential role in my personal healing and growth, and any goodness that came from my time locked up came as a result of working on this particular part of my life. And so that subject today is going to be spirituality and faith, specifically what prison taught me about spirituality and faith. So let's go ahead and dive into it, and we're going to answer some key questions. It may end up being a two-part series. I'm not really sure. We'll see how how much we can fit in on this one. All right. So, what did I learn about spirituality and faith in prison? First off, as a Christian, before I went into this... Now, a little disclaimer just before I start sharing is that I am an unapologetic Christian, that I will openly talk about it and talk about my faith in Jesus Christ and my faith in God and my belief and all that comes with that. But I also want to make it clear that this podcast, this is not to be labeled a Christian podcast only. I'm a Christian doing a podcast... And i'm talking about my experiences which incorporate my faith but i'm not limited to only covering things from a christian perspective so i just want to make that clear and that even though i am going to be talking openly about my faith and definitely will want to talk to other people about their faith and what they've learned in their own experiences i definitely do not want to be boxed in with the walls that come with being labeled a christian something so I'm not ashamed of my faith. I'm not apologizing for my faith. But at the same time, I'm hoping you're not going to look at this podcast and be like, oh, that's a Christian podcast. I can only share it with people that are Christians. Also, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't really know what I get out of this. Then again, that would be a limitation to just being seen as a Christian podcast. And that is not my intention. So all that being said, let's go ahead and move forward. And I would like to answer the first question that I believe pops up in my head when I was thinking about going to prison. And that was, what is it like being a Christian or any person of faith in prison? Now, when I say thinking about it, what I mean is that I was in a severe depression, not as severe as when I committed my robbery, but I was in a pretty heavy depression. And when you're in depression, one of the things you do is you're in denial and you try to avoid things that make you uncomfortable. So what I did is I had a feeling, even though I was being told by everybody, you're gonna get parole. This is what I'm being told by people that were police officers, people that were lawyers. Even my own lawyer thought I was, I had a really good shot at getting parole. But deep down inside, I had this inkling, this feeling that was not what was gonna happen, that I was gonna to have to do time. And I just didn't want to think about it. So I didn't do any prep going into it. I had no idea really what to expect. I'd already done two months in extradition, and so I had seen some stuff already. So I was, I'll just kind of let that be my litmus test for what everything is going to be. But really, I just didn't think about it. So when the moment I actually started thinking about what is it going to be like being a Christian in prison? Because I knew who I was and I knew what my faith was. I was just in a place where I was like, since my robbery, I was like, I don't know how to pursue my faith with this guilt. And the shame hanging over me. So I just didn't. So for the two and a half years I was on bond, I was just, I was floating. Like I said, I was I was depressed. I was just existing. Honestly, the only thing I was trying to do was I was just trying to make it to the courtroom. Because my initial instinct was to run. I had money in the bank. I was paying off my, I was paying down my restitution. I was paying off my lawyer. So I had money saved up. I had more money saved up than I ever, ever had when I had taken off on any of my trips. Even my um, year-long trip to Turkey, I had twice as much money, three times as much money saved up. So I know I definitely could have made it work and made it happen. And that just compounded the pressure inside to want to run even more and not face up to what I needed to face up to. But the thought, the the hurt and the pain that I would bring my family and those that were were giving me the second chance was just too much to bear. So to protect them any rash decisions and protect, my, protect myself from making any rash decisions, I just shut down mentally. Every single day was just get through the day, just get through the day. And so that's how I lived for two and a half years. So my first moments when they said, hey, you've got a 10-year prison sentence. Yes, it was surreal. It was like being in water and everything slows down. And they're putting the cuffs on you. And I'm just kind of like 10 years. And I, and I looked at my lawyer and I was like, I have to do 50%, right? And he said, yes, you gotta do 50%. So I was like, five years, okay. I was good at math, guys. I look at my family. I, I I don't even remember if anything passed between us. I know they were in shock. I looked at my friends as I'm being escorted out. And then what happens is at Bear County, you go into the place and depending on if you're on the first or second floor, I think I was on the second floor. So they put you in this little elevator with these two sheriffs, and they take you down. And then they put you in a holding cell and it's got a bunch of other guys in there. I think there was about 15 other guys in there. We were all waiting to go to the Bear County Jail. And I think I believe most of us had just been sentenced. Now, you're going to wait in that place for, I mean, it could be anywhere from 10 minutes to 10 hours. I mean, it just depends when they're going to come get you to take you down. And then from there, you're going to go to Intake and the processing. From my experience, I've seen that take anywhere from three hours at the quickest to, I mean, at some places it would take up to 48 hours. It just depends how slammed they were and how busy they were. So I knew that I had some time to process things before I actually hit my cell and my, wherever they were going to place me. And that was it. I didn't know anything else that was going to come from it. So in that time of waiting, even as I'm listening to the guys for some of them, it's it's a rodeo that they're already very familiar with. They've done it a few times already, so they weren't at all phased. Me, I was in a daze, so I'm listening to them, and I'm asking a few questions, but really I'm just in my own thoughts. A few things hit me. The first one that hit me was, and and I don't know if this will make sense or not, but it was total and absolute relief. I didn't know what it was at first. I just felt this weight off my shoulder. It's such a cliche statement, right? But it's that's exactly what I felt. felt like I was carrying this massive weight with me. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. I felt exhausted and I felt light. And you would think it would be like, oh, do you feel fear? Do you feel regret? You know, What is it that you're feeling? But I just felt relief. And the reason is because that I had made it to the courtroom and now the decision was out of my hands. There was no place for me to run to anymore. So I was now needing to just face the reality and just deal with it. The next thought that came to my mind was, how do I do this? How do I do it as I'm not a hardened criminal? I had a basic understanding, probably from movies and TV shows and the few people I heard talk about it, about what it meant to be a prisoner and an inmate and all that type of stuff and ex-con and live that life and be that person. And I was like, I'm just not that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you can become that guy, anybody can become that guy. I didn't want to become that guy. I didn't want to give in to the system. I did not want the system to end up stamping and defining me because I really wanted there to be something left of me when all this was done. And the only way I knew to protect myself and protect my identity was to to invest in the one part of my identity I knew that was truly me. And that was my faith and my belief in God. But I had no idea how that would be received what in the world was it like being a Christian, or what was it like being a person that wanted to just focus on their faith and do that in prison? Okay, so whenever you get to a new place, it's a pod, a unit, wherever you're going to be housed, at at some point in some time, and it's usually very early on, someone is going to approach you and find out who you are and what you're about. Usually, it'll start with your cellie, and your cellie will be able to identify who you need to talk to so they can basically give you the rules of the pod. And, and they'll they'll you know share some information, of course, but what it's done is it's broken up by race. So if you're white, then usually a white person's gonna come up to you, introduce themselves, and then say, let me give you a lay of the land, these are the rules, yada, yada, yada. And then also find out who, what you're about. Are you clicked up? Are you affiliated with anybody? And do you need to be directed towards that group? If you're black, you're gonna be approached by someone that's black. If you're Mexican, you get the picture, right? So when you're waiting, you usually spend anywhere from 30 to 45 days in county, waiting to get put on a bus to take you to your first unit. But while you're in that place and you're waiting, that's when you're collecting as much information as you can. It's amazing how much disinformation and information you can get while you're in county jail. When, if you were green like me, you were taking it all in, you didn't know that there were people that, sometimes people just wanna be heard especially guys that have been in this system a long time. They've been just so isolated and reduced. They don't have a whole lot of contact with humanity. So what they do is to capture an audience, they will tell that audience whatever that audience wants to hear. They'll spend stories. But in the middle of all that information is a lot of disinformation and stuff that's not true just because they're trying to hold on to that attention that you're giving to them. And nobody gives more attention than somebody that's green. So I was very fortunate in that the first few people I talked to were not like that. And they basically shared that information with me. And they were like, look, you need to be careful who you're taking your information from, blah, blah, blah. Basically shared with me, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get approached. And when you're approached, that's when you're going to make your identification of who you are and what you're about. I was very open about what I wanted to do. I had found a Bible and I had already started asking around about church and Bible classes and stuff I could do to start filling my time. So they said, we can. We know you're about your faith and that type of stuff. So when you get to the unit, we know you're not linked up with anybody, but you're going to be approached by a wood or a white and they're going to introduce themselves, find out what you're about. And then they're going to basically give you the information you need to be given. At that point, when they introduce you and all that stuff, that's when you can say, Sol- I'm Solano or I'm Solo. Solano is Spanish for Solo, just in case you did not know. It just means that I'm not linked up with anybody. I'm on my own. Then at that point, if you want to take it a little bit further, you can say, I'm really just wanting to focus on my faith and I'm a Christian. I just-. So you start asking about things on the unit that would point in that direction, church, Bible studies, and da da da. You're, you're making it very obvious who it is and what you're about. At that point, every single time that in, in the six years I shared that information, I was always given a measure of respect of saying, okay, man, that's cool. Then you're going to want to talk to this person, or yeah, they, they do this at this time. I don't do that, but you can talk to that guy. He does that. Blah, blah, blah. So, this is where I share with you how the prison system views anything to do with God. Or faith or spirituality, what I found to be really surprising and amazing is the fact that you actually are given a lot of respect and distance to be able to pursue your faith. I mean, there's there's different reasons as for why that is, but even if you're not somebody who follows or believes in God, or maybe not even that, it's just most people in prison believe in God. They're just not doing something about it. They're not pursuing it. It's not the right time for them. But there is a really heavy respect for God that man, I'm telling you, <laughs> a lot of Christians in the church could really learn from. I learned a lot from it. It the amount of there really is a lot of respect. And I think because there's so much respect for God, there's a lot of pushback whenever somebody's not genuine about it and they're BSing about it and so the ones that are not genuine about it are seen with more disdain than if you were uh, just being a crash test dummy which is somebody who will do whatever they're being told just to uh, earn some accolades and kudos from the other guys but they'll look at somebody who messes around with faith or what messes around with religion really they're messing around with the idea of god and because there is a a seriousness and respect that's given by most people in the prison community to the idea of God and the idea that that is a possibility that maybe it might even be a possibility for them later if you're messing with that by watering it down making it a joke making it uh, something selfish is that you are watering something down that for them might be an option for them later I don't know that's just kind of my take on it I might be completely wrong but I do know that there is a seriousness and respect that's given that was very surprising to me and the amount of support to let me do what I wanted to do as far as pursue my faith it, it really blew me away now in the early stages while I'm while I am pursuing my faith while I am just doing my thing there is because there's been so much fakeness that's gone on there's a measure of skepticism that goes into it, with, and, and cynicism, which you have to break down by proving yourself over time. There's a great scripture that takes place in First Timothy 4, verse 12. It says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy, I added the Timothy, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. So, The simple nut of it is he was telling Timothy, who was a young guy, who saw his youthfulness as being a big downside to being able to do what he was supposed to do. Paul was saying, hey, don't let him look down on you. In fact, prove yourself by the way that you speak, the way that you conduct or live your life. What is it that you love or cherish? What is it that you put your faith in and your purity? And you will show yourself an example to those who believe. And those who don't believe, you will prove yourself. That show yourself, it takes time it's not something that happens instantly. Anyone know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with making people, hey, you can say anything you want, but who you are is going to prove itself out, out over time. And then what happens is they're looking even beyond your words and your actions. They're looking at to your intentions behind what you're doing, right? When you're in the system for a while, you start you become really keen on how to sniff out BS. Sometimes that sniffing out process is it's not what you were doing. It's not what you're saying. It's the intention behind of what you were doing. Uh, An example of that is like, I can't tell you how many fights I saw happen or almost happen over one word. And there was a few of these words, but this is the one that comes to mind. All right. Okay. It's like, it's the way that it's said. It's the tone that it's said in. Let's say two guys had some type of disagreement about something. And then one of the guys would be like, "All right, man, it's conciliatory. It's kind of like, all right, let's just let it be." But then the other one that it could be could be like, "All right, all right," <laughs> and it's just the tone. It's the way that it's said. It's uh, and it doesn't even have to be that much. It could be like, "All right, I don't know." It's 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 hard to explain. You have to see it. it there's probably way better examples, way way better words or phrases that were used that seem simple, but could lead to something else if it's said in the wrong way or done in the wrong way and that's the whole thing it is with faith is yes oh yeah yeah, you're going to church oh yeah you're reading your bible and this and that but i got a bad vibe about you there's something about you that's off and they go by that more than what it is that you say and what it is that you do because they've learned to trust their instincts and you do you learn to trust your instincts more than you do whatever it is that your eyes and your ears are telling you. Your eyes and your ears are the process, but they're not the final judge. So if you're genuine, it's going to prove itself over time. And it's going to, the, the result of that will be the positives and the negatives that are going to come from being considered a religious person, which is what I'm about to get into. So in the prison ecosystem, the one that I'm familiar with, anything that had to do with spirituality, that had to do with God, faith, any of that, you were just put under the title of religious. Everything falls under that category. So once you're identified as a religious person and that's what you're doing, there are some positives and negatives that come with that. Let me give you two stories, and I think that that will give you a picture of what it was like, the positives and negatives of being a person of faith in the prison system. First one I'll tell you is about Preach. So Preach, I met on my, I don't know, third unit. I was a trustee. I had been doing stuff with my personal faith and my growth and doing my own things. So I didn't gravitate and fall into Preach's circle the way a lot of the other guys did. Because Preach was really, really good. He had done a lot of time. You could pretty much almost call him a lifer. And he had mastered the art of speaking, I call it Christianese or religious talk. So he knew the Bible in and out. He had all the facts and understanding. He had taught himself Hebrew. He could write Hebrew. Very good in debates. And he wasn't a bully at, by any means, but he was kind of almost like a bully with information because he was so brazen with his confidence that all a lot of these other guys that were Christians were just kind of like, oh yeah, preach, man. Preach knows what he's doing. Preach knows what he's talking about. So he's given a lot of respect and... Like I said, he'd done a lot of time, he'd been a lifer And most a lot of guys that are lifers Have been in this in and out of the system A long time They've burned a lot of bridges And those guys don't usually have any type of support As far as from the outside They don't have any commissary coming in Or they have very little coming in So What, what happen is, if you were part of a community Of anything So if you were part of the woods, the woods were looking out for you If you were part of the blacks, the blacks were looking out for you If you were part of the Christians, a Christian group, then they were looking out for you, etc., etc. Whenever you were attached to a community or part of a group that you identified with, they usually looked out for each other. Um, And it was especially expected of people uh, that were religious or Christian, because it's supposed to be part of your faith that you look out for the lesser. So he always had meals provided for him. Guys would go to commissary and get different things and then give him... Give him stuff. They would order stuff for him. They would order books on his behalf. So he had a lot of perks in that sense. But preach also liked to dabble in prison politics. He liked to get out there. But more than that, he loved to tell the war stories about when he used to knock people around. He used to be a hardened guy and all that type of stuff. He always made he always left this impression that I could go there any moment that I wanted to. You know, and these guys know it. They're afraid of me. That is something that's so commonly heard. Why? the more and more time you do the more and more you hear these people that talk about what they could do who they used to be and all that type of stuff maybe they could but the thing was again i was i knew the guys that hung out with him and i talked with him but i also didn't drink the Kool-Aid so i was kind of removed from everything so i got more everybody else's perspective of that part of that guy so on the unit everybody else viewed preach as being just a snake. We don't have anything to do with that guy. We don't want him anywhere near us. We just kind of let him be. They look at that person as being a little bit kind of insane. And he probably was a little bit insane. And so they just read right through him. They didn't want anything to do with him. This is a person that is supposed to be a religious person and a person of faith. And yet the way that he's viewed by outsiders is a snake, a charlatan, and somebody that you, if you were smart, you stay as far away from him as possible. And if you bought into what he was saying then you were an idiot so that was preach the second story i have is just something a little bit more personal they have these things called faith-based dorms and a faith-based dorm is a place where in that dorm it is a place specifically for guys that want to grow in their faith while they're in prison so they provide you classes that are mandatory that you have to go to and then they provide you other classes that are voluntary they'll bring in outside uh speakers to speak to you you get some perks but you also have some things that are responsibilities which are considered negatives. When I first started, the faith-based dorm was brand new and there was only a handful, and I would literally mean that, a handful. And Within the 190 or whatever it is, prison systems that are in Texas, there was only like, at that time, maybe five, six, something like that. They were were test run. When I left, six years later, every unit had a faith-based dorm, at least one. Some had two, three, four. It just grew in a lot of popularity. So when i first started off there was a lot of skepticism and a lot of back talk as to what a faith-based dorm was for it was considered a snitch dorm it was considered a um, catch-out dorm the stories that went around the unit about what it was like being in a faith-based dorm was you're about a bunch of guys that are just snitching on each other and they're just a bunch of cowards and they'll they'll cut your own throat you have to do this this and this you you need to make sure that they collaborate with the guards to get you in trouble because in the religious circles there's a lot of politics that goes on way more than even like you would see in the gangs and the pr- and pod politics the amount of drama and internal politics that goes on in the religious circles is pretty intense so they always viewed it with a heavy measure of cynicism and skepticism so my first time when i was starting my first 8 months or so even though i heard about the faith based dorm I never put in for it and I stayed away from it because I was trying to keep my life as drama free as possible. And if that meant that I was in a regular pod with most of the guys that I was in the pod with or were affiliated or banging of some type and some sort up to quote unquote nefarious deeds and whatnot, not religious, not Christian. At least I knew who they were, the devil you know type of thing. So I'd, I'd rather deal with that than deal with the unknown. Well, because of that, I never put in for the faith based dorms. So whenever I would do anything like read my Bible, if I read it in the day room and stuff like that, at a time when nobody else were using the table, I just tried to stay out of the way, stay low. That was the key. Always stay low. Well, anyway, one day I was sitting there at the table and I'm reading my Bible. One of the guys, He was the gasoline that was always looking for fire. He came by, he saw me at the table, and I forget what he was saying, but he was basically starting to kind of like poke at me, trying to get a kind of rise out of me. I'm just pretty much ignoring him. But I can tell that, I can tell what he's doing, and it's starting to work. So as I feel myself starting to get worked up about this, two of the guys that I knew were Oda Holmes, and so they came over and sat down at the table. We're like, hey, what's up, man? And I was like, not much, just reading. And then they looked at the other guy, giving me a hard time. What's up, Red? And Red's like, not much, man, not much. They said, why don't you leave him alone? He ain't, he ain't troubling nobody. He ain't bothering nobody. Let him be. And Red was like, oh man, I psh, ain't no big deal, man. I was just giving him, I was just joking around with him, man. I was just joking around. And they said, yeah, that's cool, but uh, you know, he's doing his thing. He's in the word. Let him be, man. So red's like yeah whatever man don't matter i was just joking around so he gets up and walks away and then the two at home guys look at me and then they they just kind of give me a little bit of head nod and i was like appreciate it what happened in that moment was they were willing to put themselves in a place where if it got confrontational his group was going to go to war or at least do battle with this other group it sounds it sounds ridiculous right now when you're on the outside saying that that way. But when you're caught in a pod and you're not going anywhere, that tension can go like that really quickly. And we had already had race problems going on in that dorm. So for them to intervene like that, because Red was black and they were Mexican, could have definitely gone a different way. But the way that it's viewed is that if you're doing something good and you're doing something right, especially if you're going to be pursuing your faith and you're genuine about it, you usually are going to get the respect of the other guys to let you do that. Now, they're going to test you. And I think that's what Red was doing early on was he was just testing me out to see if I was really about it. They want to see if you're really genuine or you're really full of it. And if you prove yourself to be genuine after a while, then you're considered a serious religious guy. And therefore, you are going to be given your space to do that. Even to the point where if they have any issues or something comes up, usually they'll come over and sit down at your table or come over to your bunk or just come over and sit down and approach you and just be like, and then they'll just start to talk to you and just tell you about what's going on with their life and, and whatnot. You almost become, I hate to say it this way, but it's almost like you become like an internal clergy within that pod or that unit. But again, it's something that's got to be earned and it's and that trust level has to be there. I'm sharing those two stories to share with you that when I share that the positives and negatives, so the positives would be that You are given your space to to pursue your faith and do what it is that you want to do. And once you've earned it, you're given a certain measure of respect to allow yourself to do that. You are removed from prison politics. By stating yourself as a religious person, you're saying, I'm not a part of prison politics. I don't have a say in the matter. And so you're removing yourself from any decisions that go on. And they they may seem absolutely ridiculous to you. But there were major decisions like when the ice comes in, you're supposed to take the ice that's in these igloos and you're supposed to fill it with water and everybody in the pod gets ice water. Well, at some of the pods I was at, when the ice came in, all the guys were able to come in and if anybody wanted a whole cup of ice to themselves, they dig their cup into the ice and they take it out. And so there was a lot of battle uh every unit, every pod that I went to about how that was going to be handled because sanitation is a massive issue within the prison system, especially guys that had done time a while and they didn't like the idea of somebody taking their cup and their dirty hand, getting anywhere near that ice and putting it in there. If you wanted to weigh in on it, you could say something, but it wouldn't be taken serious because again, you're removing yourself saying, I'm not about that. You guys work that out amongst yourselves. You get a community that you're a part of. You look out for each other. You share meals together, you do your studies or whatever, people that you think alike with. You have a community you can tap into. Sometimes you get out of work for certain holidays and services that come up. And anytime you get out of work was always considered a bonus while you're locked up. And then guests would come in and they would sometimes bring some form of entertainment, maybe a band or they would play or they would bring a movie that you could watch. And then the highlight is if any of them brought outside food from the free world. One day I'm going to do an episode on the power of food in prison. It's unbelievable the the amount of power that goes into controlling the food source in prison negatives the negatives is that it's looked at with a measure of skepticism and cynicism it's seen as a crutch it's seen as a weakness and that's going to stay there until you prove that you're actually genuine about it and you're not just using this as a front and so initially you're considered fake or not real Because you might end up being a preach. Like I said when I shared the story with preach. So the ones that were not genuine are using the community as a place to get something that they're lacking. Get something they need. Whether it's food or material or just human interaction. And really there's nothing absolutely wrong with people that are lonely and in need. Having their needs met by another group or another community. Especially a Christian or faith community. The problem is that if it's not genuine and it's fake, you really don't know who you're dealing with and so you feel cheated. That that was a common thing that we would say, which is basically, look, man, I would have just given it to you if you had just told me, man. There, there's this uh, kind of sense of karma that goes around in prison, which is eventually it'll get back to you, the good or the bad. So there's always this sense of whether you're religious or not, that you needed to do your part to look out for your fellow man while you're in there because you were all in the same situation. You guys were all in the same boat. Because of that, you didn't really know as a religious or Christian person who you could trust. And that gets taxing. Because of that, church drew a lot of those types of people out. the woodwork so for me church became something that was a tedious affair that i usually tried to avoid it sometimes was genuine but a lot of times it was not the bible studies that were conducted were a little bit better if they were held by the unit or a guest person but again a lot of guys just showed up just because maybe they're going to show movies maybe they're going to get some food maybe they just want to get out of a hot Sweaty dorm and be an AC for an hour. But what happens is it waters down the intentions and the genuineness of the people that are there actually for that. So, for the most part, most of the corporate things that were held by units and stuff, early on I attended them. But then, as I started to learn more and more that this is not my cup of tea, this is not what I'm looking for, I actually just started focusing on doing things in my own dorm, in my own pod with guys that I knew and trusted. I would forego the benefits of it because the negatives were just, for me, not worth it. Now I've already run this a little bit longer than what I intended, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and pull up right now. I would like to share with you, I guess today was more lay of the land, like set the background up, and then the next part will be sharing what is it that prison actually taught me. What was my thinking about what faith was, what Christianity was, going into prison, and my experiences inside there, how, how did it affect, alter, and change me coming out? And was it positive or was it negative? We'll get into all that. On, Thank you guys so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you were choosing. You can find the Prison Steve Podcast on Apple Podcast and Stitcher now, as well as Red Circle. If you wanna throw your support for the show, the three best ways are to subscribe, leave a review, especially if it's five-star, and to share with anyone you think would be interested. Those three things will help me build some organic traction, which is really the best kind. Any comments or tips that you have, please feel free to share them with me via email or through the Facebook link I will be leaving in the description. For all of your support in listening to this show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive. Peace.